0: Welcome to Podship Earth. This is your host, Jared Blumenfeld. This has been a week of climate tragedies. I feel humbled to have spent time with thousands of firefighters near Lake Tahoe battling the Caldor Fire. The scale of the devastation is beyond anything I've ever witnessed. The commitment and heroism of the men and women emerging from the thick smoke beyond words. Then, a day later, Hurricane Ida hit the East Coast and a whole different realm of suffering continued. These apocalyptic scenes are the realities of climate change, of a planet gone haywire, They left me feeling deeply scared and sad. I wanted to find a silver lining, a thread of hope. Talking to Sumya Roy gave me both. Sumya is a journalist and activist from Mumbai, India, who spent eight years writing Castaway Mountain, Love and Loss Among the Waste Pickers of Mumbai, which is published this month by Penguin Random House. The book is so beautifully written, weaving together stories of how we can create something out of nothing, and what it means to be human. The story centers on a family that lives on the slope of Dionar Waste Mountain, the largest pile of trash in India. I start by asking Samya Roy how she began this adventure.
1: Well, I was a journalist for many years. I used to write about financial inclusion among many other topics. In 2010, I left to start my own non-profit, That was the time the economy was booming. There was a lot of consumer loans available for different things. And yet, if you didn't live in the right address, if you weren't very wealthy, all of those financial services were suddenly not available to you. Like, you know, how redlining works. They would literally hang up on you if you said you lived in Islam or you lived here or you were even of the wrong religion, etc. And so I started a small nonprofit in 2010 to work on microfinance. In 2013, we began getting waste pickers from this garbage mountain where I had never been. Uh, And they would literally with their hands pick up this waste and sort it and and resell it to traders, plastic traders, metal traders, glass traders, etc. And so I always worried that what kind of business is this? Our loans are going to go bad if we lend to you. And they would make it seemed like this was a place of great opportunity. Like, you know, this is an employer that's never going to run out of work. Do you think waste is ever going to reduce? We'll never run out of work. Um, so I said, okay, well, show me what you do. I guess my journalistic, eye. I began going there, show me your house, show me your sorting, you know, little shed, um, show me the place you work. So we began walking up the garbage mountains. And um, I guess that's where this kind of a dark fascination with what they do began
0: maybe just help uh situate us where where is this 300 acres of the DNR garbage dump relative to mumbai
1: it is in mumbai uh, it forms the far edge of mumbai so just as you cross it you'll there there'll be a sort of a bridge and when you cross the bridge you're no more in mumbai you're in navi mumbai or new mumbai so it's really the the far edge the outer edge of mumbai city
0: back in the early like 1899 you know, they built these trains and carts. And it. I mean, it. the way you describe it, it seems like at that time, it was very far from like where people lived.
1: Yes, yes. They do describe it as a marshy swamp. Uh, and and part of the plan was to reclaim it for farming. So they thought actually this was a way to make money, that this would fill up with trash. In fact, that at that point, trash was more food waste. So it would enrich the soil and make it suitable for farming. And then they would rent it out to farmers and earn a certain amount of money from them.
0: Every 10 or 15 years, a new prospector comes and thinks they could sell the compost in this huge mountain. You know, this kind of mythology keeps continuing throughout the decades.
1: It's also the city wanting to do something as this place is slowly filling up. They realize that there is a need to do something since the 90s. I mean, people would say, oh, yeah, sure. Somebody came in like, you know, a few years ago to make a compost plant. You know, they made that shed there in that corner. Um, And oh, yeah, in 2009, there was a court case. And that's when really very seriously they thought of making a large waste to compost plant. And so the, the, this was given over to a company and they tried. But because of all the administrative tangles, that didn't work out. And now they are planning to make a much smaller waste-to-power plant. And I hope it is, it is coming. It is on way.
0: I mean, if the court cases that you describe are anything to go by, it's very unlikely that anything will ever be built. I want to get to the human element of the story. So you meet Haida Ali and his daughter Fazana Sheikh. I mean, how did you get to the place that you started to to get more and more into the community, because the story is written from the perspective of a family. All their trials and tribulations are around the trash mountain. The book is titled Castaway Mountain. How did you personally, like as a journalist, get into that place of of intimacy with the family where you're seeing them every day and understanding their lives? And and how did that happen for you?
1: He wanted to use our loan partly to grow his waste business and partly to set up an embroidery business. But it was so I would constantly hope that this our loans would help him to get out of this. Uh, But I guess it was and every day I would watch this fragility of how hard it was to break out of this cycle of poverty, because any illness, any um, setback and that little saving that they had built up would be gone. And I would be increasingly drawn in to what was happening in their house, in their family. And. I, it became increasingly clear to me that they were also intertwined with this place, that it was bearing down on them, these garbage mountains. It was uh, an addiction because if you went there, you found something to get you through that day. So when all else failed, they would go there. And I thought that through the family, I could tell the story of the place and tell the story of the city.
0: The house is made out of plastic sheeting with a tin roof. And it it sounds like basically a shanty town that grew up around the mountain. Like when you would go there, like just just even describe it, like would you drive there and then walk up? Like how how would you even approach it?
1: Um, There is a boundary wall that separates the garbage and their homes. Um, There are cracks in the wall and you get into the the, into the lanes where the waste pickers live. And across the wall is the Garbage Mountain, which now does have cameras and lights and guards. And so their intention is to is to not let waste pickers go. And waste pickers are always trying to get in, even say in the dark or just dodge the guards and go in and work. So Haider Ali's children, are, some of his children are still working there. They still try to go in mm-hmm. before dawn and work there. You will stop the car, uh, where up to where the road takes you, and then walk into the lane. It's a narrow, long lane, uh, and his house is just five or ten houses, and the there's the wall and the garbage mountain start. And you know, uh, doing this house, um, is almost his life's work. So every time you go, there's a new addition, just like, you know, in America, I always hear people are making home additions and improvement. So it started with plastic sheet um, and then, OK, now it's tin sheet. And now my son made some money by working with the gang. So now we have a few feet of break and then now we have a few more feet of break. So it's this constant home improvement project to lift his family a little above the swamp and the garbage. and And it almost drags them back in every little while.
0: There was a scene that just made me feel so ridiculously privileged and grateful, which I am to to live in a house. But it's raining; it's the monsoon, and Fazana and her sisters are like literally the the whole house is just filled with water, and they're floating at the top of it, and all their possessions have disappeared. Like it's pretty apocalyptic.
1: Yeah. So this is uh, this happens pretty much every monsoon. Uh, last year, the front of their house collapsed, and they had it took them several months of earning again to get the house fixed up. And water, you know, as you know, they're the garbage slope. So when water gushes down, it comes with some force. It fills up in their house. And um, now with the boundary wall, it happens a little bit less, but earlier it would happen much more. And they would even show me videos. Can you see our stuff floating in the water? Here are my slippers. Here's my child's coloring book floating in the water. And then they would wait for the waters to recede slowly, bring their things out, soak them in the sun, in whatever sun they could catch in their lane, uh, and then retrieve their possessions soggy
0: possessions and you describe some yeah you know, the garbage mountains are like alive
1: i came across this uh, wonderful quote that felt that made me feel the mountains were alive also which says that you know in the monsoon moisture fills the mountains and they expand and in the summer it soaks up the moisture and the mountains contract but it really made me feel like the, mo- the mountains were breathing that they were living they were contracting and expanding and they sustained this life for these pickers. So, yes, uh, right now we are in the middle of Bombay's four-month-long monsoon. And I went there just a few days ago and it was green, emerald green. Uh, You couldn't even, you could Mm. hardly see the trash and it felt, you know, beautiful, alive. Uh, And in the summer, the green goes away and it's brown. And then you see the trash coming up, plastic and foil and metal uh, glinting in the sun. And it's a very different landscape.
0: And the the seasonality of the food, for instance, you're like, Sometimes there's lychees. The pickers are like eating the food a lot, which makes sense. I mean, but there's there's a lot of eating. And tell us about kind of the relationship between the dump and food.
1: I I also wanted to show that As much as this is a place of blight, it's also a place where children grow up. And for a child, their childhood is also enjoyable. And so Farzana remembered it. These were the her happiest memories of finding, you know, the summer meant you found ice cream, uh, you found apples, you found leeches. Uh, And it also showed how India's economy, in a sense, was changing because, you know, in India's North is known for its apples. But she would always tell me, no, no, we didn't eat Indian apples. We ate imported apples. They were huge. So I said, "Okay, well, how did you know? And she said they had stickers in all these languages. And as you know, uh, when I once read this, somebody said, were they Washington apples from like Seattle and stuff? And it's possible that they were. And Farzana's only, she couldn't read English, but she would tell me, you know, they had stickers in these different languages and they were huge, not like Indian apples. During the festive season, they would find sweets and Indian sweets are made of milk and cream. So they would spoil um, if you didn't eat them quickly. And so within a day or so, they would arrive at the Garbage Mountains and they were eating sweets. So they were have it was like a funnel for the city. You would see whatever was being consumed in the city coming here a day later or a few days later, depending on its expiry. So they were using ready to eat packages as we began in the city to eat ready to eat uh, packages like um, they were beginning to get those packages. And making desserts with it and having gulab jamun parties or having uh crisps that began coming in packages uh, right after expiry and so those were their childhood memories also just as for us making say a cake from ready to eat mixes is our wonderful childhood memory it was for them too to eat the make desserts from that ex those expired ready to eat packages and eat it. so they remembered with a tremendous glow. Uh, leftover hotel breakfast, leftover airline breakfasts, And it reminded me of when I was a child taking a flight, I just waited for the breakfast to come in the flight. And I thought about how they would get it on the garbage mountain and eat it too.
0: I love it. I was also just like blown away when you're like, you know, under the surface, things like pumpkins grow. There's actually food growing in in the garbage.
1: Yeah, so she told me not everyone ate that stuff, but many people I met, they did eat that stuff. And I myself have seen bits of vegetables growing there, um, people picking it, using it to uh, tomatoes, uh, some leafy vegetables, people bring it home, they eat it. So they bring life to this place, which is a place of blight the seed um, of that food is left over and in the rain, plants grow, vegetables grow, they claim medicinal plants grow, poisonous plants grow. It, it's like the waste pickers are bringing life to this place by picking this, bringing it back, cooking it for dinner.
0: Give us a sense of, of both the, the number of waste pickers that at the height. I mean, obviously it changes. There's all kinds of security and then no security and a wall and then no wall, but at the height how how many folks were engaged in in waste picking
1: well i would say there were several thousand um there would be at least 3 or 4000 people working there um at at the height now i would think it's less because there is a plant supposed to calm since the fires in 2016 um when these garbage mountains erupted in fires uh security has increased to ensure that there are no more fires Um, And so it has reduced and waste pickers are making fumbling, somewhat failing attempts to move away from here. Uh, But even now, I would say there would be about a thousand people at the very least who are working there.
0: And they're divided into like categories. So you're describing there's the, the rag and the cloth pickers, and then there's the glass, and then there's the metal. And talk about like, how do they organize themselves?
1: The uh, the oldest pickers I met were cloth pickers. So the little cloth scraps that come from tailoring workshops, they would pick those and sort them by color uh, and then resell them to be stuffed into, say, pillows, quilts, to make stuffed toys, maybe made new clothes, um, those kinds of things. Later, as we began to get much more plastic, we consume plastic in the city. Now, mo- most pickers are uh, plastic pickers or fugawalas, which is bottles, you know, like a you fuga means a balloon, so this is literally a, a plastic ballooned into a bottle or into a pouch or you know the the somewhat slim plastic, although there are different categories including say a television set or the really thin plastic, like a plastic bag or a sheet um they will collect all of that but I think most of all it's bottles, so they are called fugawalas which the 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 new generation waste pickers are mostly plastic people. Um, and the most expensive of all the things you find on the garbage dump is metal. Uh, and metal stays buried within lighter trash, such as cloth and plastic and foil. And so when fires burn, then the lighter stuff melts away and the metal remains. So there is, there are, um, accusations that waste pickers lit up, lit fires on the garbage mountains so that the lighter stuff melted away and they were able to retrieve metal and sell it and earn money on it. And this is an accusation that I also heard in Italy, where they say that mafia lit up, uh, lit fires on the garbage to burn away lighter stuff and get metal. But these fires are also noxious.
0: Before we get to the fires, your point about the mafia, you talk about the gangs and kind of how they form, what they do. Talk a little bit about the, the gangs that exist within the pickers.
1: I write about the gangs just to show that this place was a little bit under the radar. Nobody wants to look at this place. Like we in the city don't want to look at this place. And so uh, the police, the municipality, they are governing this place in some way, loosely, I would say. But that garbage traders have encroached into this place and they are bring taking away all the metal they can. So there were fierce gang rivalries, violent gang rivalries over things like hotel food, uh, airline food. There were literally swords coming out to corner hotel uh, trash, to corner marriage hall trash, that kind of stuff. Police have alleged that waste, medical waste came here. Waste pickers such as Farzana say that they picked through this. So it's a lot of thick plastic that comes in medical waste, like saline bags and you know, bottles and things like that, that they were picking through and they were reselling and it was a source of income for them. In the, the garbage dump, which is 300 acres large, was encroached by gangs and they had their own small spaces where no one could enter and their people patrolled and um, there were cameras lining it. They basically controlled all the trash that came
0: there. Which is amazing. Yeah. At one point in the book, you're describing how the police and security cameras are not working, but the gang's cameras are working. Right.
1: Um, they you know, if you see the court case, there's years, endless years where they say, are the cameras working? Are they not working? And mostly they're not. Or they were installed, but they're not working. The lights, are they working? Are they not working? But when I saw the police charge sheet, there's a lot of stuff saying their lights are working. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what to say. This is what I mean. And this is what I need for great.
0: And Farzana, the the main girl who becomes a lady through your book and goes from kind of a nine-year-old to a, you know, 22-year-old, she notices, like, where the trucks are coming from by their sticker. And, you know, the trash pickers spend their time really focused on the ones from the wealthy neighborhoods.
1: Even in the city, I have seen this, that in on waste trucks, the garbage dump trucks, it says right in front, which ward is it from a municipal ward? And so they knew even these waste pickers were not highly educated. They could read um, here, they're alphabetically listed the wards. And so A, B or East, A, East, West, whatever. And they would, really chase uh, garbage trucks that came from wealthy wards because that's where the good trash came from. And they competed for it fiercely. Um, they paid garbage truck drivers to only empty for them and they fought over it. And also garbage uh, gangs fought over this.
0: You see, every part of society goes through the the Diyunar mountains. I mean, that it, it, nothing escapes you kind of get a whole sense of society through what's thrown away.
1: Yes, it was my discovery, if I may say so. Um, It was not just that what was this world, but through this world, we were seeing a funnel, a reflection of ourselves. Uh, what was our society and how they were built that this world was a reflection of our world and our society, Um, the kind of things that they were finding. And that also made them feel that just a treasure was just one handful away. If you just tried a little harder, something that we in the city had just forgotten and sent there could land up in their hands and just transform their lives completely. And so they stayed in that search and they they stayed gripped in that addiction.
0: And it does feel like almost like gambling, like, Everyone is a few steps away from finding something that's going to transform their life economically. And I guess it sometimes it happens, but very rarely. But it keeps people day after day after day. And even you talk about people who pick trash at night with lights. I mean, it is an addiction in some ways.
1: Sure. And I think my idea there was also to show the fragility of the lives of the poor. Uh, that, that you feel, you know, it's this ephemeral hope, this ephemeral, the addiction comes from the ephemeral nature of that, that you feel you could, if you just do a little better, you could, you, you would be fine. You would be fine. You would be, you could be wealthy. Everybody knew of somebody who had grown very wealthy, somebody who found gold, somebody who found an emerald, but they never, they never really found it. Uh, and, and they stayed in that search and, their lives stayed what they were. There was always that hope that their life would get better, that trash would elevate them, their lives, their families' lives. But it never really did.
0: And you talk about who gets to go to school and that opportunity to break the cycle is, is never able to be fulfilled
1: yeah that's it so with uh, with moharram character who actually did find a gold necklace and it seemed like his life was about to change every time i met him i thought his, his life was on the verge of change um and yet you know the the their life was so fragile that that in fact, it took a complete U-turn. Um, so so as a microfinance professional, I would say that that was also showing how my own hubris, where I thought that with this loan, they would suddenly, their life would change, um, that, that hubris was also demolished in some ways, um, where it was more the fragility that was underscored than just the ability of the loan to to transform their lives, which certainly some people did, but it's not easy.
0: We feed those mountains every day and... We create them. Tell me about like how it occurred to you emotionally as you're as you're getting involved in this story.
1: I spent uh, many years, but some of uh, the best years of my life uh, in on this journey. And then in 2016, when the fires happened on the Garbage Mountains, I knew these waste pickers. I knew they were getting arrested, and I thought that okay, yes, they may have may or may not have lit these fires, but we, as residents of the city, have a connection with this place because it is we who are feeding this place. So why not write a piece about that? This place came to me not as a dark place, uh, but because I came into it through the involvement with the waste pickers, they brought life to this place. When they described it, they described it as I wouldn't say wonderful, but certainly their life on, they had a life on it and it was not just a dark life. It was a life of tremendous um, strength, uh, intrepidity. They were looking for ways to get around things. They were creating happy moments there. So they were definitely remembering birthday parties, alcohol parties made of leftover alcohol found in bottles, finding love, finding friendship. Uh, And they were almost reluctant to talk about the trauma and I almost felt guilty to dig it out, um so did you not feel sick working there? No, not at all, right, but it was there, and it was coming out in these unspoken ways as I spent more and more time. It was clear that many of the characters in the book did have tuberculosis, asthma, eye trouble, stomach trouble, um two of the characters of in the book passed away during the writing of this book, so that trauma was there, if only you just dug you know scratched away a layer of it.
0: I felt traumatized about your main character, Farzana? I mean, of all the characters you could have followed, what happened to her was really tragic.
1: So much started happening to Farzana. She was both not very verbally articulate, but tremendously charismatic um, in remembering what her childhood was like, full of light and joy and tremendous strength. She would Chase garbage trucks and clamber onto them even before they stopped to get what she wanted. To make sure she had what she what she wanted before others could get to them. So she, it was not just verbally, but I could see her life there. I was so drawn to it. And so many things happened to her that this book had to be about her.
0: One of the things that struck me is kind of the the relationship between superstition and spirit. And you kind of delve into that whole world of negative spirits within the garbage mountain that can infect you, and people felt that Farzana had been kind of overtaken by these spirits. It may have been chemicals or pollution, but another view was that it was these spirits.
1: So there is an incident where Farzana's brother is a 10-year-old. He's on the garbage mountain slopes in the middle of the night. It's dark. He's waiting for garbage trucks to come. And he sees a chudail or a kind of a woman's spirit in wearing white. And I'm thinking this guy's like known to be so tough, so strong. What is he telling me? How did he see the spirit? And then I thought that if you were a 10 year old on a 300 acre garbage dump in the middle of the night, what else would you see?
0: You talk about the, the, the fires just that happen in the middle of you writing this book, just really kind of wake Mumbai up to the realities of the dump.
1: There's more bad news for residents of Mumbai. There was a fresh fire in the Dhyona dump late last night. This comes in just after the chief minister assured residents of Chamber, one of the worst affected areas, that the government would do everything to prevent the fire from reoccurring. Even in Mumbai, it was as if this place was invisible because we were sending all our trash away and it was... Almost staying hidden in this place at the edge of the city that we didn't have to think about, we didn't have to confront, we didn't have to deal with. But actually it was, there are 16 million metric tons of garbage lying there. And because of this fire, it was as if this place suddenly became visible. It caught this physical manifestation of the smoke which was then burning in our chest and itching in our eyes. It was as if this place it made the place real. It made this problem real. And I hope that it made us confront our life in a way that created this place.
0: Yeah, because you talk about there was this big conference that happened at the time called Made in India and the Prime Minister Modi was very proud. How does India's self image align or not align with the story of that you tell? I mean, this is an aspect that people would rather, of, of all our societies, but this particularly felt like you were telling a story about India's self-identity.
1: I mean, I do feel that this garbage is a problem everywhere. As you mentioned, landfills are everywhere. And garbage is a manifestation of wealth, not of poverty. Uh, waste pickers come from poverty, but waste comes from wealth. In the US, I think they, they shed about 10 times uh, garbage per person than they do in India. I think Make in India was about that very modern self-image that we not only are wanting to create, but are in some ways inhabiting. So if you see where this conference was held, it's in this very modern business district. There are float glass buildings. It's it's a piece of the first world in the middle of Bombay City. Um, and there was this these beautiful conference pavilions being made. And yet there is this stench and the smoke or garbage that is filling the half-made pavilions. We can push this problem away, but it doesn't go away unless we deal with it, that it has to be confronted as we inhabit more modern identities.
0: What I think about when I read your book is this, it's literally like a Kafka story of a judge and advocate, both who are looking at the record of inaction over decades to actually close the Waste Mountain. And it's kind of like a comedy uh, in the absurdity of how little gets done. And, And even you know one company nearly gets the thing closed and then they can't actually get the land from the city government. So time after time after time, everything goes wrong. Like, how are we gonna fight climate change? How are we gonna fight these really big issues if we can't even deal with a single, yes, it's 300 acres, yes, It's 120 feet tall, but how did it occur to you when you were, as a journalist, kind of tracking all this down?
1: Yeah, Uh, so I had almost never been to a courtroom before. I came into it tracking waste pickers lives uh, and they had mentioned to me there was a court case, but since their lives were continuing, this place was continuing, I hadn't given it much attention. And then in 2000, I think 17, uh, just so uh, banned fresh construction in the city. So I thought, hmm, something's happening with this case. Why don't I go to the courtroom and see? And when I went there, I must tell you that I was completely fascinated because it seemed like just at the edge of movement, you know, there were, he was so, the just, Justice Oak, who by the way was elevated to India Supreme Court just last week. Um, oh, ex- wow. Yeah, extremely purposeful in moving these mountains, giving orders. He was indignant. He was, uh, very purposeful, setting deadlines. Um, so when, when you were in court, you felt something would happen and something would happen soon, right? The court case, 26 years old. And these garbage mountains are still there. There is still new garbage coming there, even after 26 years. And I found this record that that several such judges had been very purposeful in trying to move the mountains, setting deadlines, setting targets. Um, but the place had, had changed only a little bit, had not. But it was still continuing. There is still new garbage coming there. There is not yet a plant there. But over the years, there is this cycle, constant cycles of something is almost happening But they're not really happening because you know how difficult it is administratively to do things. And, you know, funnily, there were so many countries where, you know, when I traveled, my editor who's Italian said, this feels like Italy. Or, Or my editor in London said, oh, yeah, this sounds like London. Except that in Bombay, everything is heightened.
0: On the environmental side, what I got was so much of what we all throw away could be reused. And the waste pickers... We love to focus on the human story, but the th- the thing that they're accomplishing is the reuse of materials that people throw away every day. And that material is good for so many other purposes and other functions. And if we all did what Fazana and the other characters that, that you spend time with do, we'd we'd all be using less resources.
1: Yes, absolutely. They found a way to reuse any and everything. Like the other day I was there and Farzana's sister had found uh, a huge bundle full of ripped jeans. And they had been thrown away probably in the city because they were too ripped. But she was going to, you know, just uh, patch them up a little bit and resell them and maybe somebody would buy them as fashionable. They even formed a part of global trade. I mean, like plastic, um, they would they would certainly separate plastic, give it out to a trader who would sell it to a factory where they were made as pellets and they were exported then to China and elsewhere to be remade into new products.
0: And glass, glass. There's some terrifying stories about how much people get cut by the glass, but, but that glass ends up being remade into new things.
1: Glass cloth. Glass, glass is remade into new bottles. Plastic is remade into making new T-shirts, filament for T-shirts.
0: And did you end the book feeling hopeful? Fazana ends up having two kids and getting married to Nadim, who's a, a garbage truck driver. I mean, there's it feels like there's, there's a lot of hope, but there's sadness too.
1: I would say that I was left with a feeling of tremendous strength Um, And this entrepreneurial spirit of the waste pickers, of making something of nothing, whether in life or with these products that they find.
0: an incredible resilience.
1: Incredible. Like never giving up. In the face of so many setbacks, they would be back there every day. They would be making something of nothing.
0: I don't know. It's the evolution of each of our lives. You kind of chronicle through people's relationship with this massive mountain of trash.
1: Yes. And I think it was in a way also a metaphor for life that whatever you're given, you can make something of it. Uh, and as it was for our trash that some, it can be remade into something that it can regenerate, that it can. In fact, I'm writing an article right now about how landfills across the world can be regenerated to make parks. Uh, and life can come back to them with birds, with fish, with trees, and people can come back to them. So I think, yes, it is about regeneration as much as it, as landfills are associated to be places of blight.
0: How did it affect your relationship to material things?
1: I'm always wary of being prescriptive. Uh, I'm also wary of putting uh, myself as a uh, example of doing all the right things. It has made me rethink um, my life, both in terms of what I consume, but given me this tremendous strength that I see from them to come back from setbacks, to come back from so much difficulty that they faced every day. There were so many situations where I felt if I had gone through this, I would just curl up in bed and not want to get out any ever. Uh, and yet, I saw them getting out every day. They know they're going to get cut. They know they're they're vulnerable to so much, and yet they're out there. So, as a person, I feel that was a lesson: that their strength, their resilience, their intrepidity, their humor in the face of everything. That was certainly something that I learned. Yes, in my daily life, I am certainly um, on this journey of trying to consume more consciously, trying to reuse things, trying to consume less. When you know that the trail that, that it leaves behind, how toxic that is, every time you buy something, you do think about it. Do you, do I really need this? Um, can I reuse it? Um, certainly those are thoughts that come to your mind.
0: Samia, how, how do you feel about the project now that it's come to an end?
1: The ending of this project has left me... Empty and bereft, I must admit. I'm writing a story about landfills all over the world, how they can regenerate, how many landfills across the world have faced similar crises as in as the Deonar. So I've written about Beirut, about Moscow, where they said that there is a waste Everest growing outside the city. Uh about um and then in some cities, how these large landfills have are regenerating. Like in New York City, I visited Fresh Kills, which was a 2,200-acre landfill uh, and is now, next spring in 2022, going to begin opening as a park, one of the biggest parks in the city. So I think that also shows hope for places like Devonar, for places like the Waste Everest of Moscow. So when you ask me what can the future be, maybe it's this.
0: A huge thank you to Samya Roy for sharing her story with Podchipa today. We live in a world of billions of parallel realities. Each story coexists in the same moment, but often seems unconnected. Right now, as you're listening to this podcast, there's a waste picker on DNR Mountain trying to find a gold bracelet among the detritus. The environmental movement often focuses on how trash affects our oceans or wildlife. What Castaway Mountain delves into are the human impacts of the excesses of wealth. There's a direct relationship between how we've treated the earth and how we've treated each other. Saving the planet from a history of exploitation can only be achieved by creating a healthy, equitable society. Today, our divided and unequal societies are not sufficiently united to tackle the scale of the response required to combat climate change. What emerges from Ms. Roy's book, Castaway Mountain, is a shared humanity and struggle for dignity that we can harness to avoid the worst of a climate uncertain future. Thank you each so much for being part of the Podship Earth journey. From the entire Podship Earth crew, sound engineer Rob Spade, executive producer David Kahn, and from me, Jared Blumenfeld, we all have the power to make something out of nothing.